No, no, I'm not starting. I started over too many times <laughs> with this tape recorder. No, it's okay. To study the Buddha way is study the self, forget the self, and wake up. So, so what happens is practice is about being here now. And practice, meditation, one of the beautiful things that it does, it starts to relax the staticness or the fixation that we've created both about ourself and about others and about reality. We start to get here with the living reality, both what we know about reality, but also what we don't know. And here's the rest of this quote from Dogen, because it's a beautiful poem, really. To study the Buddha way is to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things. To be intimate with the myriad things is to drop off body and mind and drop off the body and mind of others. No trace of enlightenment remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. Isn't that beautiful? Even if you don't know what it means, it's very beautiful. <laughs> and, and the not knowing is fine. It's actually one of the beautiful things about Dharma. Dharma is not about knowing everything. Dharma is about letting the seeds of reality be planted so they can ripen and awaken and reveal themselves in their own time and place because they will. You're already, if you're here and if you're practicing, if you're into the Dharma, you're already in the soil of the Dharma. <laughs> Actually, so this is just my mind, I'm free thinking here. And, and um, uh, Chogyam Trungpa uh, uh, Rinpoche, he would say, oh yeah, your feet are planted in the manure of Dharma <laughs> because that's where awakening comes from. It comes from reality. It comes from the ground. It comes from being real here. And then more of reality begins to show itself from being right here. And so when Dogen says, he says, to be intimate with the myriad things, with, with everything, is to drop off body and mind and the body and minds of others. He's not saying you lose your, mind, your body and mind, you're gone. You're not just attached to the concept of me and this and I am and all that. Something more is here than what we know. And we don't have to get rid of what we know, but we're also open to what we don't know. And it's the same about others. We see people, we think, oh, I know you. You know, I've known you for a while now, and I like you, you're a good person. But, you know, and it's true, and I know you a little bit. But also, I don't know you, which is totally one of the fun things about life and about relationships and people. We, we don't know who's sitting next to us or even who's holding our hand. We actually don't know. This is one of the fun things I always enjoy about being married for a long time is whenever I realize, oh, I don't know who the hell this person is who I've been married to, even though I do know them. Right? See, it's a, it, and so what I'm pointing to is the paradox of reality and the paradox that the Dharma keeps pointing us to, to wake up with, not to figure out this or that. So, right, so we drop off body and minds, drop off our ideas, our beliefs, our reification of reality, our solidification of reality, and no trace of enlightenment remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. So even enlightenment, even awakening, becomes an idea rather than the living reality of what that is. And we're interested, I mean, you could be interested in the idea, many of us are for a long time, but it's much more interesting to have the experience than have the idea. And he's also pointing to something here, if I really refer to my talk for a moment. He says, what is he saying? He says, now I'm reading you my talk. What is he saying here? 
He's pointing at the mystery of reality, at the beautiful mystery of what's sitting in each seat right here, of this experience that's both known and isn't known. And so I want to talk a little about the knowing and the not knowing, which are part of practice and part of life, as far as I can tell. Because <clears throat> we're often bound by our knowing and our ideas of knowing, not just our knowing, but the fact we think, oh, we're supposed to know, or we have to know, or the only way we'll be okay is if we know. And, and it's not that knowing is bad, and we should, please, know everything you can, but also see there's more to learn about both knowing and not knowing as we wake up. And I mentioned this the other night, Sun Sunim, who was a Korean Zen master who I saw uh, a few times, but I really liked him a lot. He always had a big stick. He was always, ah, that's better. He was like that. Boy, this turns red when I do that. The, 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 the thing that says, oh, peak audio, you know, right? And so, and, and Sun Sunim would go, only don't know because he was pointing at something about reality and then he would say what do you think's in this what do you think's in this jar what is it now <laughs> my jar falling all over the place. <laughs> he would have fun with us, with people, because he wasn't afraid to play with reality and point to both what we know. Yeah, right, it's water. Sure, it's water. What the hell is water? Right, really. I mean, isn't it amazing? Like, if I throw this water at you, you're not going to be so happy, right? I don't mean in the bottle, I mean out of the bottle, right? You get wet, isn't that? What, what is wet, right? Who, who invented wet, right? I mean, so, and so we know, like we know water, we know wet, and we also don't know water and wet at the same time. There's more to discover about the mystery of reality or the magic of reality. And this is a, a, about Suzuki Roshi, the great Zen master here in San Francisco. David Chadwick, I believe, wrote this. He said um, to Suzuki Roshi, he said, you talked about the first principle again, but I don't know what that is. I said to Suzuki, I don't know, Suzuki Roshi said, is the first principle. <laughs> right? It's what he was pointing at. Oh, this is the first thing. There's knowing, but there's not knowing. And really the not knowing is predominant in our experience as human beings. We know a lot, we learn a lot, we understand a lot. And there's just a tremendous amount of reality we still don't know. We're still learning. How many people know what's going to happen tomorrow? Please raise your hands if you know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> okay, this is a crowd who thinks they know that they don't know. <laughs> Okay, and I won't say any more tonight, the talk's over. <laughs> um, actually, I don't, I don't believe you quite. I think most of you think you know what's going to happen tomorrow. I think you know, are you going to work, are you going home, are you going to school, are you going to be here, are you going to do this, and then, and, and mostly you're right. But also, sometimes we're not right. We don't know what's going to happen. Like the Buddhist bike pilgrimage, which I was, I didn't know we were going to announce it tonight until Kitty reminded me <laughs> about a minute or two ago. And, you know, I was on the Buddhist bike pilgrimage five years ago, which many of you know, 
and uh, I was riding it, and they always asked me to teach a little bit, so I gave the first talk at Spirit Rock um, that morning. And I, I actually now I'm remembering, of course, I did a don't know talk, right? You don't know what's going to happen, so you want to ride very carefully, right? This was true. I gave the talk, and then I gave an example of the talk on the ride. I had a really bad bike accident on the ride, seriously bad bike accident. Like, oh, don't do that if you can help it. Um, um, and so I, and I didn't know I was going to mention it tonight, except Kitty brought up the bike pilgrimage. And of course, I have a certain association now with the bike pilgrimage, like, oh shit, you know, bad downhill. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and uh, actually I have a lot of good associations. It's a great ride and totally fun to ride the 140 miles or something to Bayagiri. <clears throat> but most of us are uncomfortable with the unknown, right? Like we want to know what's going to happen tomorrow or for the rest of our life for the most part or with our work or with our relationship or with our money or with our something. Like that's and it's very normal. It's totally normal part of being a human being um, to want to know. But we're not comfortable with the unknown. Here's the question. Why are you uncomfortable with the unknown? If you are, maybe you're not, but, but see, you know, what is it that makes you uncomfortable about the unknown? And for many of us, we, the unknown means, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. Or we don't know how we'll deal with what's happening. Or we don't know what other people will think about us if we don't know what's happening. Or, and, and that, of course, comes into the, oh, then who am I? Or who will I be in the eyes or minds of other people if I don't know what's happening? And it challenges our identity in some way, shape, or form. And that can be very, very uncomfortable, but is not is part of Buddhist practice in general. I mean, just to give you a heads up, if you're really in Buddhist practice and you do Buddhist practice, it will challenge your identity. And, and that's part of what it does because it's asking you to really look very, very carefully, very intimately at who and what you are and who and what you take yourself to be and then see what's true. <clears throat> and um, there's, there's a paradox here in the uncomfortableness with not knowing. And the paradox is we actually don't know what's going to happen, as far as I can tell. And, and I mean that quite sincerely. And, quite respectfully. And so the question is, if we're uncomfortable with not knowing, how do we practice with that so we start to relax with the fact, oh, we don't know. And of course, I'm going to add something here that I haven't put in yet, but of course the not knowing is related to the fact we all want to control reality. We all want to control reality. Or we all want to be in control in some way, shape, or form. Very normal, very human, great, good luck, give it your best shot. <laughs> and we're not in control at the same time. It's a paradox. Life is paradoxical. I, you know, I was a decent bike rider and, and I had an accident because accidents happen. And, you know, and I've actually had other things in my life happen. They didn't happen when I wanted them to happen. <laughs> All kinds of shit happened <laughs> that I didn't want to happen. And, you know, and I didn't know it was going to happen. And I couldn't control reality. And learning how to get a little more comfortable with the not knowing and the uncomfortableness we feel is part of practice. <clears throat> and so 
it's an important part of the process, as I'm saying, become comfortable with not knowing, but also to start right in our meditation, not even to reify or concretize what's happening, to know it, but also to know it gently, because it's going to change. And it will change. You know, oh, you know, you have a sit, you think, wow, this is a great sit. Wow, I just feel great. Wow, I'm so here. My mind is so quiet. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow, I'm going to sit like this from now on. <laughs> Good luck. Because the mind will do whatever it wants to do. I mean, it's helpful to develop the muscle of samadhi because you can start to orient towards this unification of the mind with the present moment and the relaxation of that starts to have its own momentum in practice. <clears throat> And so part of what helps when we're nervous about not knowing or where it's difficult for us to not know is to start to get here just in the way we try to get here when we're sitting. Get here with the body and the breath. Get here with the living reality that actually may not know what's going to happen or what's the right thing. Or what, but actually get here with the somatic, kinesthetic, energetic experience that's sitting here and breathing with the not knowing. And, and it means, of course, what will be there is anxiety, worry, fear, not liking, unpleasant, all kinds of emotions and, and, and mental states that we don't want to be with. And the paradox is being with those mental states, those emotions, those uncomfortable feelings, that is the doorway to those relaxing or revealing more of the truth instead of just our belief in the identification with the me who's having those emotions and feelings and mental states and thoughts and, you know, oh, this is horrible kind of feeling and to start to see, oh, there's something more fundamental than that experience, or that's even here with that experience that we can call a few different things. We could say, oh, it's me really being here. We really land here. It's also the awareness is here. And as I've said many times here, the awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. Right? Everybody got that? I just want to keep saying that forever because it seems very true to me these days. But also the unification of body and mind, getting here in an embodied way. And it's, I've loved practicing with the body for a long time now. And um, I sat with the venerable Analyo recently and who is great, lovely teacher, really great teacher. And um, he did a very uh, interesting teaching on the Satipatthana Sutta, which is where mindfulness comes from. Um, and, but he did something I've never seen anybody do. First thing he had us do was scan through the body, part by part, first at, at the skin. So you feel the skin starting at the top of your skull, and you feel it, you feel it and down your face and the back of the skull and then the neck and then down the shoulder and down one arm and one hand and all your fingers and then you're aware of this arm and this hand and these fingers and then you go down the front and the back and you're, and you're just being aware of the skin and you go down into the belly and the pelvis and the genitals and the butt and everything. Then you go down one leg and then you go down to the foot and then you go down the other leg and down to the foot. And then you come up one foot and one leg feeling the muscles, being aware of the muscles of the body. And then you, and the same thing one at a time, you come up the other leg and then you come up through the torso feeling all the flesh it's not just, excuse me, it's not just the muscles, it's the flesh 
that's here, right? And you come up, and of course, all the organs and the belly and the intestines and all, all the crap that's in there. And then you feel that in the heart and the lungs, and then and you come up the arm, feeling all the flesh in there, the muscles and everything, and come up and you come up and feel the flesh inside the throat and the tongue, and then into the head and the brain, you know, it's part of the flesh. And then you come down a third time, the bones and you start with the top of the skull and you start feeling being aware of the skeleton the teeth and then the and then the top of the um the spine and then the bones and the top of the torso and then down the bones of the arm and down the bones of the other arm and all the bones in the fingers and down the the bones in the chest, the skeleton really, you start to see, you have an inner image of your skeleton as you sit here. It's quite interesting because you all have one, you know, for free. You don't even have to pay for it. And, and then skeleton, skeleton down here and then same bones and down. And then you feel the whole body and then you start to be aware of the breath. And so that first thing, when I do it, systematically takes me about 20 minutes going the three three ways and and he does it all because he's really encouraging embodied awareness embodied awareness and this is something I've been encouraging from year for years but I don't have you do those kind of meditations but you could because really it's a great way to start to really get unified with what's sitting here, with the reality, the simple reality that's sitting here of skin, flesh, and bones that's already sitting here. And then the breathing, that it's breathing, right? And so on one hand, we know that there's skin, flesh, and bones here. On another hand, we don't actually know it. We're not intimate with it. And we can start to know it more directly. Fascinating pr practice. And so I'm just saying that because I want to keep encouraging the 24-7 practice. And the key to 24-7 practice is embodiment, is practicing with our bodies. It's going with you everywhere, except when you die. And then you don't have to worry about the body anymore, right? Then the body won't be a problem. I promise you. And I'm not saying it's always a problem, but sometimes it's a problem, the body. And the body also has its own way of knowing. I'm going to quote a woman named Marilyn Sewell. She said, the body has its own way of knowing, a knowing that has little to do with logic. The body has its own way of knowing, a body that has little to do with logic and much to do with truth little to do with control and much to do with acceptance, little to do with division and analysis and much to do with union. And so what we're pointing at here, what she's pointing at, and I'm hopefully pointing at too, is part of what allows us to be with the unknown is to be here somatically, kinesthetically, energetically, physically and be aware of what's happening as we're here, even when we don't know things. Or really, I could broaden this a little bit. Any difficulty is asking us to be here so we can deal with it. Whatever the difficulty is, it could be we don't know what's going on or what's right or what should happen or what's supposed to be. That's one kind of, but there's, there's a zillion kind of difficulties, right? Everybody got that? Everybody, anybody not know the word dukkha? Any, raise your hand if you don't know the word dukkha. Okay, so let me tell you, that's a good word, it's a Buddhist word, it's a Pali word, and dukkha is uh, most commonly translated as suffering, but it means suffering, disease, uncomfortableness, unsatisfactory, so that it's got a wide range, dukkha. It's obvious things, but it's also the most simple things. You know, if you eat a bad piece of fruit and you're farting, it's dukkha, you know? Or if somebody's trying to kill you, 
it's dukkha, serious dukkha. Or if there's war, that's serious dukkha, you know, big time dukkha. And then there's just ordinary dukkha of, oh, it's a little hot in here. There's a little hot, you know, you, so you're fanning yourself. Your fan's a little small, right? So it's still with some dukkha here, right? <laughs> you know. And here, please, you could use my thing if you want, you know. Right? It's just a little bit of dukkha because it's stuffy in here. And the way to deal with dukkha, which is, of course, the first noble truth, dukkha, cause of dukkha, end of dukkha, they take us being here for that to happen, for awakening to happen. That's the transformative magic of practice, is it teaches us how to get here and be here and be real here and, and be with what's real and discover a reality that is greater than the conventional circumstances, like it's too hot, right? But we can actually live with it. And so she's pointing at some of that potential of knowing our body because our body has its own intelligence. Um, and, I, and again, as I was saying, it's a key to 24-7 practice. So I'm, I'm here next week. How many people want to make an agreement with me? We'll all practice 24-7 this week, right? Is that, okay, just one? Oh, a few more, okay, thank you. And it doesn't mean you're gonna do it perfectly. I wanna just reassure you, if you could do it perfectly, you probably wouldn't be here tonight. And I wouldn't be here if I could do it perfectly. But it's all doable and it's so amazing to start to give ourselves the space to pursue what we care about, which is being here, being alive and the life that is living here now for a short time, right? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, maybe 110 now, they're saying people are getting, are, are going longer, you know, which I don't even know if that's a good thing, but it happens. So, so the body becomes an important part of our practice of both what we know and what we don't know, staying present with the felt sense of our experience and that felt sense beginning to reveal more of our intelligence and our kindness and our care and our love and our goodness so that we can actually respond to reality. We can respond to what's here. And the language I like to use when I'm talking about being with the body is to let the awareness saturate the body, or let the, uh, uh, let the awareness uh, um, be uh, suffused in the body, or, or bathe the body, or, um, or uh, imbued in the body. And it's, and it's not a fixed thing that I'm suggesting. It's a kind of intention and orientation that is also not static. So if you're gonna feel or sense or know your body right now, it doesn't mean you'll know every iota of it. But if you go with that intention for a week, watch what happens. See what happens this week and we'll continue this discussion next week. And please come back even if it was, didn't work at all, if you think, oh, I'm totally full of it. No, that's no problem. I've had that happen before in my life where people thought I was totally full of it. And, you know, sometimes they were right. That, that happens. That's part of life also. So, but what I'm trying to do is emphasize the direct, immediate experience of knowing this experience, of this, this aliveness. It's sitting right in your seat already. And some of us, We'll have different skills. We'll actually, we'll all have different skill at doing it. So don't compare yourself to somebody else. The comparing mind's not so helpful in Dharma practice. But being curious, wondering, playing with it, discover it, that's helpful. 
And, and so part of the bigger picture that I'm adding to the knowing and not knowing and working with the unknown is saying, oh, this is how to work with what's difficult, with the dukkha of life, of human life, which is a normal part of human life. Normal, and capital N, right? Anybody here not have any dukkha? Let me just see if there's anybody here. Right, okay, we all share that reality. And, and, uh, and what happens as we get here with the experience is we can begin to metabolize our experience. We'll begin to digest our experience. And it's, the, it's what, it's what uh, uh, Trungpa was pointing to when he talked about the manure for awakening. This, our lives are the manure for awakening. It's not somewhere else. The source of awakening is not somewhere else. It's right here. It's, what, it, it's with what is actually here. And let's see, where should I go now? I'm trying to go way quicker than I can go. As um, I just saw, somebody sent me this quote today from Utejaniya, uh, Saidal Utejaniya. He said, you can use any sensation, any part of the body, as the main object to bring the mind into the present moment. You can use any part of the body to get here now. Just start feeling your body. And even, even while you're listening to me, feel your body. Be aware of your body. The awareness can do both, right? You can be aware of your body and you'll also take in my words in a slightly different way than if you're over here. Because you're not actually over here. And that's, that's a, I could give a really esoteric teaching now, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but what, what Utejani is pointing at, what, what Analyo is pointing at, experiential knowledge is only in the lived moment. And there's different kinds of knowledge. There's conceptual knowledge, all kinds of practical knowledge, scientific knowledge that Wes was talking about last week. All good, all good. But experiential knowledge is right here, is right here now. And so it's important to remember when we talk about knowing and not knowing, is that not knowing doesn't mean you don't know, okay? It's a paradox. We know stuff and we don't know stuff, meaning we know some things, we know part of reality, and we don't know the whole picture yet. <clears throat> One of my teachers, Hamid Ali, who said, if we understand it completely, it isn't reality. If we understand it completely, it isn't reality. Reality is way more mysterious than what we think it is. <clears throat> and it's a mystery not because it's unknowable, but because what is knowable is infinitely knowable. There's more to discover, there's more to know. And so I'll add one more thing from Stephen Batchelor. He said, he said, as mindful awareness becomes stiller and clearer, experience becomes not only more vivid, but simultaneously more baffling. Hmm. Right. As mindful awareness becomes stiller, clearer, experience becomes not only more vivid, but simultaneously more baffling. The more deeply we know something in this way, the more deeply we don't know it. And this is be beautiful understanding of reality. Like even being with the body and breath, we can get really here, like I'm teaching the concentration retreat this week, people got really here, really quiet mind, really like, whoa, they're here. And they're here with the breath and they're being with the breath until there's almost like nobody there or nobody doing anything and it's just being known. Right? It's just the knowing is happening. And then, and then it's also like, well, what the hell is happening? How is it being known? Because I'm not doing anything. And so the knowing and the not knowing get interwoven in this kind of way in the Dharma. 
And so I have a lot more, but I'd like to leave some time. Let's talk about what I'm saying. Any comments, any questions, agreements, disagreements, liking, not liking of it? Okay, somebody's coming up quickly. Somebody's got their hand up in the back who's gonna come up. Hi. Turn it, yeah, turn it towards you. Adjust it, yeah. Okay, so you talked about... Well, well, you have to start with your name. Angeles. Thank you. So, um, you talked about practicing 24-7. Correct. But from my understanding, embodiment yeah. is like typically talked as a subconsciousness. Because, so like, in theory, in science, in American science, no, um, subconsciousness is sort of something that you can develop that in American science because you're like subconscious, like the embodiment, it's like subconscious. There's a lot of. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you aware of your body right now? Yes. That's all I'm talking about. Okay. Okay, so, okay, so you're not talking about really seeing, dropping in because. You can drop in, yeah, keep dropping in, but be aware. So, aware doesn't mean from a distance. Aware means that the, how, how do you know you have a body? I feel the floor. You feel the floor? You think the floor is your body? Well, I don't feel the floor is my body, but I, I feel sensations. You feel sensations, yes. right? Okay, so it's alive. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Okay, so feel the sensations 24-7. And by that, I don't mean, let's, we're gonna, we're gonna not worry about sleep. We'll do sleep next week. We'll, we'll learn how to awaken while we're sleeping next week. Let's go. How about when you're writing something? Sure, great. Be aware of this. Right? You're going to be right. I'm assuming you're writing on a computer. You're not writing like this, are you? <laughs> Pardon? Both, Both ways. ways. Yeah, so. Never know. Right. Well, wait, but even right now, you're doing something. You're talking. Can you be aware of your body? Can I be aware while I'm moving my hand? All we're doing is moving our hand. I'm not saying it's um, not, it's not um, our common <coughs> orientation. I'm saying, oh, let's practice 24 hours. I'm saying it's possible. It's possible to be aware of what's right here. Okay, I see what you mean. It's not, it's not, it's not a, yeah, there's a different degree, so. Yes, and, and fine to play with the different degrees. And then when they go, when you feel like, oh, you dropped way in, you're not doing anything and you're still knowing it, meaning you're not even trying to know it and you know it, that's a certain level of samadhi that happens. Okay, so you're, you're wanting us to practice samadhi. No, no, I'm, not, I'm wanting us to practice 24-7. Okay. Okay. Because uh, as far as I can understand, everybody here comes here because they're wanting something. Freedom, love, awakening, liberation, the sure heart's release, whatever language you use to describe, you know, kindness, whatever it is, we all have understanding. It's all good. All of those are good reasons. The continuity is one of the hidden powers of Dharma practice. It's why people become monastics. Then they devote their whole 24-7 to that. And when most of us, as far as I can tell, are not going to become monastics. I'm not, I'm not going to be a monastic. But I'm very interested in waking up. Okay? Play with it. Play is an important part. Okay? Thank you. Hi, my name is Barbara. Hi, Barbara. And um, I often uh, do guided meditation with Tara Brock. Uh -huh. And do you live in Washington? No. No. Um, online. Online, yeah. wow. And well, please say online. Say hi to Tara for me. She's a good old yeah. friend. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and there was a poem by Rumi uh -huh. that was, I heard this week that just I kept on saying, I gotta say it, I gotta say it, I gotta say it. So uh -huh. this is what it 
So you're going to say it now. If you would like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just open to whatever you say. I'm, I don't care about Ruby, but okay, let's hear Ruby. Okay, so it's um, be earth, be crumbled, so that wild flowers will gloat next to you. Do something different. Surrender. That's the whole poem. Sounds good. What do you think he means by surrender? That's what I kept on thinking as she kept on speaking. And, and I, I ask you because somebody used the word, one of the other teachers used the word at the retreat we were teaching, and I said, you need to explain what surrender means, because for many people, surrender is a very passive giving up. And so, anyhow, so that's why I ask you. Go ahead. Well, you gave me the word. What? Um, you, uh, you've been stony for so long. So we have fixed ideas, as you have, you, know, you labeled, yeah. uh, what something looks like, what something feels like, how, what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how it's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So if we surrender uh -huh. from that stony self, that trance of, I know everything, uh -huh. right. then you have an opportunity of having a new experience to have flowers grow next to you. Oh, lovely. Yeah, great. Thank you. I'm happy I surrendered to you and Rui. <laughs> Please, come on up. Hi. Hello, uh, my name is Gregory. Hi, um, Gregory. Uh, something that you said earlier just kind of struck me about like how the weekend is gone already and there's uh, but there's still reverberations. Yes. But, um, I think this is more of a technical question, but what what happens when certain reverberations are negative and so powerful? Let's say yes. you have a death of a loved one, yes. or let's say your boss yes. berated you at work, yeah. um, and such reverberations compromise our ability to be present yes. in the body. Right. Um, so, what does one would do with such thoughts sure. when these sure. things puncture our mind? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I appreciate that. So there is things will happen that have their reverberation or a resonance in our psyche, and they keep living there because they're hard. It hurts, or we're 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 more feel tender, or we're angry about it, or we can have any many different kinds of reactions. But, but it's difficult. And so part of the question, part of the, what you're asking, I believe, is how do we stay aware of this and how do we be kind to ourselves when it's happening? Because we can't just get over it like that. And, and to expect to get over it like that, not helpful. And, and to try and just do spiritual bypass, like, oh, everything's fine or everything's everything, you know, doesn't work. It's it's just not. There's something more mature that's possible that I call metabolization, even of difficult experience. And then it starts to reveal whatever the experience is. What is my reaction or response? And then what happens as I get more comfortable with the hurt, or the anger, or the fear, or the whatever it might be that I'm having because then it starts to relax into, that's not all that's here. Your intelligence is still here, your heartfulness is still here, your kindness is still here, and, and maybe your um, uh, wisdom is also still here about how to respond to the bad boss or the whatever happened that was difficult. <coughs> Excuse me, but it doesn't mean we can just do it like that. It, it means knowing how to practice with difficulty, and we will all have plenty of difficulty to keep learning how to do that, because it's just part of human life as far as I can tell. So it's, does that speak to it a bit? Yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you. appreciate that. Really, really good question. Please. Yeah, pull, no, pull the whole thing down a little. 
Yeah, and then straighten it down a little more even. Yeah, so you can be comfortable and then I'll hear you better. Thank you. My name is Henrika. And I actually have a very similar question to the one before. Yes. But in light of the 24-7 practice that your homework that you gave us. Um, Only if you want it. <laughs> right. Uh, I have um, an issue that I'm working through and it's connected to the past. It's um, happening in the present and I'm fully aware that I'm replaying some scenario from the past. Yes. And at the same time, it's still there and it's very persistent. And when I actually sit and I'm quiet, it's coming up. And the body um, reaction or the body sensations associated with that past experience of yes is, are you're, coming up you're still metabolizing the past experience and the present experience is stimulating that metabolization and and it's it worry that happens for all of us really we all have our associative dukkha you know and something will happen and then wow we all of a sudden we feel I was fine and now I feel really horrible or I feel really uh, dumb or I feel really angry or I feel really something more than the current situation calls for right and so you want to work with that by being aware of it and seeing and being kind to yourself at the same time and staying with the somatic and kinesthetic because that's where the metabolization happens so much of. Because as long as you're seeing clearly, and then at some point, yeah, so is that, that's a simple response again to the same thread. Right. Same thread. And what I noticed is that because it's very uncomfortable, yes. Um, um, I, I want to eat, I want to go, yes. I want to good. move. Good, good, good. You, you see, you, you see. You, but you're aware of the wanting to eat, to move, to go. Mm -hmm. It's in Buddhism. It's called aversion mm -hmm. to what's actually happening. And you may need to do a little of that. You may need to go outside and take a walk. And and this is where the the discriminative. Uh, it's not the right. It's not a real word. The um, discernment becomes important, which is part of practice, that our discernment be, starts to become more intelligent about how to respond skillfully to just what you're asking. And, and it may mean, okay, I'm gonna go take a walk, or really, right now, I'm gonna go watch a movie. But I know what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and then I'm gonna come back to this thing that's difficult when I'm a little more grounded, a little more stabilized, etc. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. No, no. It's beautiful questions last two because we're talking about dukkha and how to work with dukkha, and it's not easy. But it is. That's the practice: is to start to get closer to it, not just to eat, run away, pretend, you know, watch movies every night, right? But to start to really see. We want to wake up, and waking up happens in many levels. It's not just the great enlightenment of the Buddha, right? It's like the moment you're a little bit free from something you weren't free from, it's great. It's like, oh, I'm here, and I'm here with my body, heart, and mind. And so the 24-7 really um, is part of developing those capacities to stay present and to stay awake. So we, we need to stop. Let's stop there. Um, we'll sit for a moment before we leave. And you can sit relaxed. You could sit formally or informally, however you wish. Just, and just be aware of what your body's like now as we go into this 24-7 week. And then reflecting about the 
goodness, the blessings the, of our time here together, that we have the time, place, sangha, community, to practice together, to study the self, to forget the self, to become intimate with all things. May the goodness, merit of our practice, may it be for our benefit, for the benefit of one another, and for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful. <clears throat> May all beings be free from suffering, the suffering of misunderstanding, the suffering of the various difficulties of human life, whether they be economic, political, racial, sexual, financial. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings awaken. May we awaken together. May we discover our true nature, our Buddha nature. <clears throat> May we wake up and understand the nature of wisdom and compassion. May all beings be free. to get up and talk about Donna. <laughs> now she's yelling at me, Donna. I forgot to invite somebody, but just to remind you all the way that uh, SF Insight survives and has survived for some 20-some years is through Donna, the generosity of the people who participate. It allows us to pay the rent and many bills. So thank you. There's a box in back for Donna. Thank you all. Good to see you all. I'll see you again next week. We'll continue to see what it's like to practice 24-8. Because <laughs> next week it'll be 8 by that. Okay, be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.